Let's go on an adventure through multi-level marketing. Let's go on an adventure with Jess. Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome back to Jess Unfiltered. I'm your host Jess, obviously. So today we are going to be talking about some legitimate side hustles slash alternatives to multi-level marketing. I know a lot of MLM huns think that anti-MLMers such as myself, we just, we, we hate on entrepreneurs. We hate on trying to be your own boss and own your own business. And that could not be farther from the truth. Um, What it really boils down to is just wanting people to actually start their own business and actually be an entrepreneur instead of buying into this false dream that a multi-level marketing company will somehow get you there when it will not. So with that, let's just jump right in. So the first idea to have a side business is photography. Now, I do photography on the side. I've always loved photography and I've kind of considered quitting my job and just doing it full time, but I just don't think that I want to go that route. Um, But it is really good side money, assuming that you have the time to do it and the dedication and the organization and arguably, most importantly, the skill. Um, I I don't want to say anyone can do photography. I think that a lot of people out there who are photographers are like, oh, anyone just thinks that they can be a photographer. All they need to do is buy a camera. And that's true. Like, it does take a lot of skill to be a good photographer and to really know what you're doing. However, however, there are a lot of clients out there who are willing to pay significantly less money for entry-level slash amateur type of work. And so assuming that you are upfront and honest with your clients about that, I don't see anything wrong with it. Um, There's a woman that I know who she used to do photography like full-time. That was her job and she had a studio in town and she made a comment one time that didn't sit too well with me. Um, But basically she just was getting mad at people who were newer photographers And she was getting frustrated with them and she's like, you know, you guys charge like $50 to do a photo shoot and you don't even know what you're doing and, you know, you're taking clients away from me who has, you know, a photography degree and I've got a studio and I've been doing this for years. Anyway, it just sounded very elitist and everything and I think that people like her need to remember that everyone has to start somewhere, first of all. And second of all, the kind of clients that are only willing to pay $50 to $100 for a batch of photos aren't going to hire you anyway. So they're not stealing business from you. They're either going to pay $50 to $100 for mediocre entry-level photos or they're not going to do anything. So why not let them, you know, just have their pictures that are of average quality, right? Um, So yeah, photography can be pretty lucrative. Um, My best piece of advice, if you do decide that you want to get into it is, um, first of all, a lot of practice is really important. A lot of practice, a lot of research. You should know how to use your camera. You should know how to shoot on manual settings. Um, I don't want to shame anyone for shooting on auto because there are times when I do feel like that is appropriate. However, you should know how to use the manual settings in the event that you need to for particular, you know, situations where the lighting 
might be kind of challenging or where you're trying to do a long exposure shot, you know, whatever it is. Um, the next thing I would recommend for photography is really making sure that you're honest with your clients. They should see samples of your work before they hire you. So that's going to mean shooting, you know, friends and family for free or whether you're shooting, you know, being a second shooter for a wedding for free. Um, once you get more experience with like headshots and senior photos and stuff like that, I would, if you, if you want to get into weddings, I would recommend finding a photographer that you can be a second shooter for. That way you're not like the primary person and, um, you know, ask if you can shadow people, that kind of thing. So you may not make a ton of money up front, but as your skills grow and as you get better, in theory, you should start making more money. For me personally, I'll be totally candid what I tend to charge for my photography services. Um, so at first when I started doing senior headshots, I wouldn't charge very much. I, I actually started with family and then I started charging around a hundred bucks per se Actually, no, I think I was charging less than that. I was charging a little less than a hundred bucks per session. And I was giving them a lot of really, you know, high quality photos, both with the way that, you know, the photos like shot, right? Like I had a really, really um, good camera that I could get high resolution photos, a lot of good bokeh, things like that. Um, and also just the way that it was composed, like I felt like I did a really good job. So I was seriously undercharging. So this next senior photo session that I'm coming up on, I'm probably going to charge a little bit closer to 200 to $250, give or take. Um, the thing is, is like, I don't want to seriously undercut anybody. And I also would love to have, you know, the money to have a little bit of extra spending money. So, you know, it, it's one of those things like, I'll take a hundred bucks for it. I'll take 125. But in reality, I would say the quality of my work, I could probably charge closer to 200 to $300, at least for my area. So a lot of what you charge is going to depend on the area that you live in and that type of thing. Um, I also do real estate photography. Typically for newer clients, I charge around a hundred dollars, which is not a lot of money. Um, most real estate photographers that I've seen that do like fully professional, just full send <laughs> photography, uh, you know, they're charging closer to 500 bucks. However, um, most of the, the houses that I take photos of are under, I don't know, four, three to $400,000. And at least in the area that I live in and in, the mar in today's market, you don't need exquisite photos in order to sell a house. If your house is under $400,000 and it's not a piece of garbage, it's gonna sell. So why would a realtor pay $500 when I could just come in for 30 minutes, take some quick shots where I get a couple good angles of the room. You know, I use my wider angle lens, which a lot of, you know, they don't have. Um, and then I spend about 30 minutes editing it and then I send it off to them. So I will occasionally do like bracketed exposures and whatnot. It just kind of depends on the situation, but I typically don't spend more than 30 minutes taking the photos and 30 minutes editing them. So that is why my rate for that is so low because I, I mean, that works out to be about a hundred dollars an hour and my drive, usually I don't accept anything more than like 20 minutes away. So, you know, if you want to say, okay, well, if you drive 
30 to 40 minutes and you take the photos, you know, it works out. We'll just say two hours, still 50 bucks an hour is pretty good. So that's usually what I charge for that. I also, um, know pretty well a lot of the a lot of the realtors that um, hire me I work with on a very regular basis so you know they'll call me up and have me do you know 10 houses or something and that works out to be you know what a thousand bucks every year or a couple of months just depending on how many listings they have so um, yeah photography photography can be really great I don't recommend just you know going into a wedding straight away. I think it's really important to get familiar with your camera and get good practice and shoot things that can happen again. And what I mean by that is like, if you're a new photographer, don't shoot an event. Don't shoot a wedding right away. Don't shoot things that are one-time events. If you're a new photographer and you shoot senior photos and you screw up, you can go back and take senior photos, right? But if you're shooting somebody's wedding day and you screw up and you don't really know what you're doing, they can't just like go get remarried so that you can take photos. So again, if you are a newer photographer, try to focus on things that you can recreate in the event that you screw up and I think you'll be okay. So the second thing that you can do to make some side money is... Etsy and I sell on Etsy as well. These are just all things that I do. That's literally all I'm talking. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to give you guys some other ideas, hopefully. Um, okay. So yeah, Etsy can be pretty nice. I opened my Etsy shop in 2015 and I did digital prints. And the nice thing about digital prints is they're, they're just like downloadable prints. So like you make the files one time, you upload them on Etsy and people just download them and auto renews. And I mean, it's basically like it's it's not 100% passive income, but it's pretty darn close. Um, my aunts all have print shops and, and they've done really, really well. That You do have to handle some customer service issues at times, so it's not 100% foolproof when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, and for me, I the digital prints that I was creating, I felt like people weren't really buying them. So I stopped doing Etsy for a while and then I started, I got a Cricut actually bought it used so I got it a little bit cheaper um, and I have the Cricut I think it's the Cricut Explore 2 which you can usually get for around 150 bucks new um, on sale so yeah that that Cricut has made me so much money I've been able to make so many cool products um, my biggest piece of advice with Etsy with photography with anything is don't like ball out on the newest fanciest most expensive equipment start small do what you can with what you have and then slowly work your way up. So like photography, you know, you can buy a DSLR, but maybe buy a cheaper one, buy one that, you know, you can just, just work up toward the more expensive things. A lot of people that I know who try to get into photography or, you know, making their own Etsy shop or whatever, they'll just go and buy like the most expensive possible equipment that you can possibly buy. And they think, that the equipment is what is going to make them money and they think that the gear that they have is going to make them money and that is not the case. Um, you need to you need to work your way up to that, um, especially if your goal is to make money. Um, be very frugal and very strategic about how you spend every dollar that you earn. It's okay to invest it back in your business, but again, just be smart about it. You don't need to go buy a $5,000 camera right out of the gate. Um, you can buy a used one at a, at a used camera shop that's a little bit older. That does a great job. Um, you know, you could buy a used full-frame DSLR. Use, I mean, I think I've seen some that are older for like 
I don't know, $300 and buy, you know, a 50 millimeter lens from Best Buy for 125 bucks. I'm thinking I, I shoot with a Canon. So that's what I'm thinking of. And it's like, there you go. For under $500, you can have a camera that was really great 10 years ago. And today we'll still probably take decent photos and you can, you know, get a full frame. You can get, I mean, just, just like consider getting used stuff. Like just be frugal with your money is the point. Um, so same thing goes with Etsy. Try not to buy too much inventory up front. There have been times where I've bought a ton of inventory of something or, or like materials to make something. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these are going to sell. Like the cost per unit for me is going to be so small. I can sell them at such a discount. I'm going to sell like hundreds of these. And then guess what? I don't sell a single freaking thing. I don't sell a single thing. So my advice is to be very careful about how much inventory that you make and about how much you have in stock because it takes up a lot of space to store it. And also, even though your cost per unit might be lower, if you don't sell a single unit, then you're spending more money than if you just would have only made one or two units at a time. So um, find a formula, find what works and stick with it. Um, sometimes throwing a lot of ideas out there and seeing what sticks, at least that's what I did with my Etsy shop and it seemed to work pretty well. Um, and yeah, if you really believe in a, in a product that you're making, like just keep going, just keep pushing. You don't need to throw a ton of money into it to be successful, but you can be strategic about, you know, marketing on Instagram or on Facebook or wherever, whatever it is that you want to do. So again, um, with Etsy, just do the opposite of what boss babes tell you to do. It's, it's funny because in MLMs, they're always like, you need to buy all of these products. They just launched. You need to be familiar with the product so that you can sell it. Why would you sell something that you've never even used before or that you don't own? You can't do that. And I've said this before, but like somebody who works at a Ferrari dealership and is a dealer probably doesn't own a Ferrari, but yet they're out there selling them. Like you don't need to own something to know how to sell it um, or to know how valuable that it could be to somebody else. So um, yeah, don't follow the boss babe mantra of like, oh, just buy all of the product. That way you can sell it. Um, no, be frugal, be strategic. You don't need to keep a large inventory, especially when you don't have proven sales. Otherwise, you're just going to waste a lot of your time and a lot of your money. Okay, the third thing that you can do is YouTube and podcast. Um, again, another thing that I do. Um, <laughs> so I will say um, I, I have not made a dime on my YouTube and I actually have spent quite a bit of money on like lighting and stuff so that I can film my YouTube videos and I bought a new microphone and everything that looks better on camera, which is what I'm recording with right now. And yeah. I mean, you can make money on YouTube. I'm pretty sure that you need to have a thousand subscribers before you can actually monetize your videos. And I don't think that used to be the case because my videos back, I don't know, 10 years ago or so were monetized back when, you know, YouTube was a little bit less strict about that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, you can make money on YouTube. Um, I, it might take you some time, but again, 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 don't go ball out and just buy, the most expensive equipment thinking like, oh, this is going to make me so much money. Um, because to be totally honest, I feel like people really value content over quality when it comes to like your video quality and your audio quality. If you're funny or if you have something interesting to say or to present, I think people care a lot more about that than they do how much money you spend on your equipment. So many people rely heavily on technology and on their video being, you know, a 4K video. And they're like, oh yeah, like I have the best gear 
I'm gonna, you know, so many people are gonna watch this. And it's like, if you're not entertaining and, and you don't have anything good to say that people want to listen to, you could have the best microphone and the best camera in the world, but you're not going to go anywhere. Um, so that might be kind of like a harsh reality, but you can start a YouTube channel with your cell phone. I mean, if you have an iPhone or an Android or whatever, like you could start making vlogs, like you don't need to go out and buy all this equipment. Um, so as far as like a podcast goes, uh, I haven't spent too terribly much on my podcast. I did buy a Mac mini just because I wanted access to GarageBand. I feel like that's a million times easier to edit my podcast in. Um, but you could buy like an older Mac or you could honestly just use, um, I know I advertise the Anchor app, which I still use. And uh, yeah, I just, I use the Anchor app. I, I basically edit it in GarageBand upload it to Anchor, and then Anchor publishes it everywhere. So uh, yeah, I, before though, before I got my Mac Mini, when I first started my podcast, I didn't even have a microphone. I literally just had my iPhone and I had the app, the Anchor app on my iPhone, and I just recorded it. I just sat in my car and I just recorded it as if I was like talking to somebody on speakerphone. Like one night I remember just sitting in the Target parking lot at night and I was just there and I was like, I'm going to record an episode. And so I just like recorded an episode, no microphone, nothing. And that was that. So um, yeah, again, to start a podcast, you don't need all this fancy stuff. Uh, the only other thing that I bought apart from my Mac mini is I did buy two microphones. The first microphone that I bought plugged into my iPhone, but it was like really buggy and it did not like... It just, it didn't really work very well. Um, but unfortunately, like by the time that I decided I didn't like it anymore because it was too buggy, I could not take it back. And I started borrowing one of my husband's microphones that I used in like, I would say some of my later episodes of, well, I would say middle of 2021, I started probably using his microphone and I didn't love it. It sounded very like tin canny. And so then I bought a $100 HyperX microphone with some RGB lights because it looks pretty. And I was like, I'm just going to get this because I don't know, maybe it'll sound better. And not only does it look better, but it, I, I think it sounds less like I'm talking in a tin can. And I just like the quality of the audio better. Um, I will say the pop filter on this microphone isn't the best though. Occasionally you'll hear like, I don't know, like you can tell the pop filter is not wonderful. Um, but other than that, I love this microphone. Sometimes I have to sit a little bit further away from it like I am right now so that I don't really get as much like popping noises. But, uh, but yeah, so in total for my podcast, I've probably spent, if you include my Mac mini and my two microphones, probably like $780. (laughs) And I think so far off of sponsorships, I've made a little over $200 in sponsorship. Actually, I can just give you guys that real time. I'll just pull it up right now. Okay, so I have made $243 as of today um, on my podcast. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still in the negatives. I'm like still probably like five, negative $500 on this. However, in theory, Let's say that I make another 243 this year and then another 243. Like I, I'm not really incurring any more expenses because all I bought was like my Mac mini and my microphone. So um, yeah, the goal of this podcast though was never to like make money. I just was venting about MLMs to my husband constantly and my family. And I could tell that everyone was like, okay, Jessica, like 
we don't care. <laughs> I mean, my husband cares, but you know, he doesn't want to talk about that 24 seven, rightfully so. So I was like, I got an advertisement for the Anchor app and I was like, you know what? Screw it. Like, so then I sat in my car one night and I just recorded into my into my phone as if I was talking on speakerphone and that's what I did for a while. So really I didn't even need to buy this stuff, but I just kind of felt like it. So one day maybe I will not be in the negatives. Um, but yeah, yeah. If you, if you're strategic about it with podcasting and you don't like spend a ton of money on a bunch of equipment up front and you have something interesting to say, I think that you'll do okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, I recommend the Anchor app, which I'm not getting paid right now for talking about it. I only get paid for the sponsored part in the beginning of the episode. So I'm not even getting paid for this. It's just free advice. Free as in I'm not making any money off of it. <laughs> but no, seriously, I do recommend the Acre app. So anyway, um, yeah, podcasting is another way that you can make money. If you are in an MLM, please don't make one about MLMs unless you want it critiqued by somebody like myself or other anti-MLM creators. Like, don't make an MLM podcast about MLMs. Okay, so another thing that you can do is taking surveys. Um, this is something I don't really do a ton. I've done it a little bit, but uh, it's called survey. Well, there's different sites that you can use, and one of them is called Survey Junkie, and basically you get points, and every point is worth a penny. So, you could have a survey that's like 100 points and that'll be worth a dollar or 50 points and that's worth 50 cents. And you can just sit there and watch YouTube videos and take surveys. I believe they have a mobile app as well. Again, this is not sponsored by them. Um, there, there are other sites. Survey Junkie is just the one that I know off of the top of my head. But you can make money just taking surveys. Most of the questions, at least for the ones that I've taken, will ask you like, do you have any health conditions? Do you live by yourself? Do you own your home? Um, you know, what kind of like cell phone carrier do you use? So that is something that you can do if you're just like bored and looking to pass the time. Another way that you can make money is there's something called MTurk or Amazon Mechanical Turk. And my brother did this and so did one of my really good friends. Basically, if you just Google Amazon Mechanical Turk or M Turk T U R K, I, I the but I'm trying to think of like the best way to explain this. You're you're basically doing human intelligence tasks, so it's it could include taking a survey or it could include, you know, think of like the the is it a captcha? Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. I should know that. Um. Anyway, let's look this up. pronounce CAPTCHA. 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 Cap okay. CAPTCHA. Okay. Whatever. I don't know. Um, anyway, so it's like a CAPTCHA. When, when you go to log into something, it'll be like, oh, click on the school buses and it'll give you like nine photos or click on a train or click on a bicycle. Um, it's kind of like that kind of stuff, but you're getting paid to do it. You do have to apply for an MTurk account like your Amazon account, and then they have to approve you to basically work and get paid. Um, but it's one of those things, so like you might get paid two cents for every task that you complete. So for every CAPTCHA type of task, you might get two cents. So if you're somebody who can work really quickly and you don't mind doing that kind of stuff over and over again, my brother did it. He was able to buy a new laptop. He would just sit there 
and like listen to YouTube videos and and he didn't have a job at the time because he was going to college. So it's kind of nice because similar to like DoorDash and Uber Eats and stuff like that, you can literally just do it on your own time. You don't need to worry about, um, you know, having a set schedule or anything and you can quit at any time. So I think he was able to make um, quite a bit of money doing that. And it can be a little bit mind numbing if you're like just not really into that kind of stuff. Another thing that they might have you do is, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the tasks that he did. I know my friend, she for sure did it and she was able to make a little bit of money doing it. Um, but yeah, a, lo- a lot of it is just clicking on things, identifying things. You're basically feeding data that will ultimately be used to help like artificial intelligence and stuff like that. So um, you can put it on a resume, technically. I don't know that I personally would. I guess it kind of depends on what kind of job you're going for. Um, I have a really good friend of mine. She actually works for a company. It's an artificial intelligence company. She does this that kind of mechanical Turk stuff for this company. It's just her job title is a lot cooler, but it's essentially like the same thing. And she's on a contract where she does it for eight hours a day and she gets paid and she has a schedule and, you know, lunch breaks and stuff. So the nice thing about Mechanical Turk is you don't have a set schedule. So that's something to look into as well. The next thing that you can do, um, pretty obvious, DoorDash, Uber Eats, um, Instacart. uh, What else is there? I'm trying to think. Uber. (laughs) Um, Now, one thing that you do need to keep in mind when you do these is you do want to factor in your expenses. So how much wear and tear are you putting on your car? How much gas are you using? Is that even worth your time? Um, I was kind of doing the, the running the numbers for Instacart because I was thinking about doing that. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I could try it. I, you know, I don't mind running to the store and grabbing groceries. Like it's not my favorite thing in the world, but if I get paid for it, you know, that's not too bad. But by the time, you know, I was kind of doing the math and I'm like, okay, well, if I have to, let's say I have to drive, you know, 10 miles total, um, you know, that's about like, I have to put premium fuel in my car and where I'm at premium fuel is around $4 and my car gets about 20 miles a gallon. So I'm like, okay, that's around $2 right there. And for some orders, you know, you only get paid maybe between five and $10. So let's say you get paid $7. Okay. That knocks it down to $5 right there. And then it's like, by the time that I, you know, wear and tear on my car, let's say that's, you know, 10 cents a mile. Um, okay, that's a dollar right there of wear and tear on my car. And so then that brings it down to $4 that I'm making. And, you know, by the time you do the math, sometimes you don't end up actually making a ton of money. Um, so that, that was really why I kind of opted against Instacart. But if you have a more fuel efficient vehicle than I do, like if you have a Prius or a lot of newer cars nowadays can get like 40 plus miles per gallon, or if you have an electric car, um, it might be a lot better for you to do it than it is for me. I have a small SUV, so, um, it just doesn't really make sense. Like, I'm not really going to be coming out that much ahead. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're in a really populated area where everything's super close, um, not a bad thing to not a bad thing to consider. Another thing that you can do, and this is going to be my last suggestion, is to 
use Fiverr or offer professional services to people like that. So um, if you're really great at reviewing resumes, you can offer your services on Fiverr. If you're really great at making jingles, which is actually where I got the jingle for this podcast, um, I ordered it through Fiverr. Um, you can tip people on there, which is really nice. Um, you can also, you you set the price for your services, you set the deadlines, everything like that. So if you know it's going to take you X number of days to complete something, you can always, you know, you, you put that on there. You say, this is going to take me so many days and the buyer has to accept that. Um, so yeah, Fiverr is a really cool tool. If you're an artist, a graphic designer, literally any kind of like services like that. If, if you want to write an article whatever it is that you want to do. Um, if you're a software developer and you, you can freelance mobile apps on there, it's basically any kind of freelance services. So if there's something that you're good at or you know that you can monetize, Fiverr is a good place for it. So again, this episode was not sponsored by anything other than my little sponsorship bit in the beginning about Anchor. Um, so yeah, this is all just, just my opinion. Um, if you guys are interested more in photography, uh, feel free to DM me. Like I, I honestly don't mind giving advice. Um, yeah, I know, I know photography is kind of a go-to for a lot of people. Um, it can be kind of hard though, and it can be difficult to source clients, but it's not impossible. But you know, as long as we're building our side hustle whilst not joining an MLM, then we're okay, right? Generally speaking. Um, anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And don't forget to check me out on YouTube. Just search for Jess Unfiltered. My Instagram is at Jess Unfiltered Pod, and my Twitter is at Unfiltered underscore Jess. Talk to y'all later. I do plan to do an Amway Reddit part two. So stay tuned for that. Um, I might record that in a little while or maybe tomorrow. We'll see what's going on. Bye.